Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called In the Wilderness, a study in the book of Numbers. We're learning how to live with courage and faithfulness on the journey through the wilderness. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. What a privilege to study the book of Numbers with you today. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Numbers 13 and 14. That's what we're going to look at today as we read about scouting the land. And uh, about over 20 years ago, I had an opportunity to speak uh, in Indiana to about 200 high school and college student leaders at an FCA camp, a national camp. And uh, at that time, I recalled a story that I had read years ago about a woman who made it her ambition to swim the English Channel. This was an amazing feat. And so she set about preparing for that. And on the day that she was to do that, a fog set in. And so as she swam, even with her coaches uh, there in the boat alongside of her trying to coach her, she was able to fight off sharks, all these different things. And she eventually kept swimming and swimming. But the fog was so hard to swim in because she couldn't see where she was going. And she ended up quitting. And when the fog lifted, they realized that she was less than a half mile away from the shore. So close, and yet missed it. Now today, I want to start with this question as we think of Numbers 13 and 14. And here it is, if you're following along in the notes. Why do some miss out and others taste and see God's promises? Why do some people that acknowledge Jesus and follow Jesus miss out? come so close and yet miss it, and others taste and see God's promises. That's what we're going to see today in this passage. And so as we think about this, if you haven't been with us, we are in this series called In the Wilderness. There's no question that some of the reason we're in this series is because of the coronavirus. We are in a time for as our nation and even the world that has been, a lot of things have been taken away. There is a kind of a, a, a different kind of feel, a wilderness, a desert kind of feel in this chapter of our history. And the question is, how are we going to journey through it? So here's this series sentence that we've been using something like this. We're studying numbers because we want to learn how to live with courage and faithfulness as we journey together in this wilderness, like this wilderness-like time in our history. We want to talk about that. And I want to talk to you today because here's what matters. How you and I walk through this time of wilderness matters. I want to show you what I discovered as I studied these verses. There is a verse that I'm going to point out in a little bit. But first, I want to unpack this. And I want to tell you what really struck me. I think I shared with you a few weeks ago that what I've been trying to do is listen to the book of Numbers or the section I'm teaching on over and over and over again. So I've listened to these two chapters probably 25 or 30 times, read them a number of other times, and just tried to see, God, what do you want me to see in this wilderness-like time in our history, and what do you want us to see as a church family? So would you pray with me now as we look at this, and we're going to unpack the story. It's 78 verses, so I'm not going to read all of them. I can't do that, but I want to retell the story and then talk about what I sense God wanted us to see in these two chapters. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that you have a plan and purpose for each one of us. 
And Lord, we don't want to miss it. And it's going to be easy to miss it because this fog, this wilderness, sometimes makes it hard to see. But help us, God, to see what you want for us and to seize it. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you're following along, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you, uh, walk through the story, and I'm going to read some of the passage and then uh, recap some of the others. So if you start with chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, notice this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So the Lord's command, Moses sent them out uh, and from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And then it names some of the leaders. And notice verse 17 through 20. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or for, unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season of the first ripe grapes. If you're following along in the notes, notice this. Moses sends 12 leaders to explore the land of Canaan. He sends 12 leaders to explore the land of Canaan. Now, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, there's a little bit more of a uh, spin to this. Evidently, as they got to the edge of the promised land, they said, we, we, wanna, we wanna explore this land because we're not sure what we're getting into. So as far as we can tell, the book of Numbers is saying that the Lord decided that was okay. In his mercy and grace, he said, okay, I'll let you explore the land. So they're scouting the land. Now here's a map just to show you a little bit of what it looks like. So if you see way down at the southern tip and see all this green area, you'll notice that here they are at Kadesh there in the wilderness. And as they make their way up, they make their way all the way up to uh, Lebo Hamath, and that's way up north. We can't tell just from sometimes not knowing that area very well, but that's almost 250 miles north. So they're gonna make a round trip in about uh, 40 days of close to 500 miles. And this isn't just flat like Illinois. And so they're going to go up through the hill country. They're going to do all this, and they're going to check out all these places, and they're going to go through the, the Negev, like it says, and they're going to eventually come to a place called Hebron. Hebron is where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives are buried. This is where God showed him hundreds of years before, I'm going to give this to your descendants one day. And so they start to see all the history of that, and they make their way back. And again, here's another map that just shows us again more of the orange there. You can see Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh Barnea all the way up to Hamath. And, and, uh, and, re and just so you see that area, they, this is where they went. And again, that's right near the Mediterranean Sea. This is a real place, and they explore it. Now, if you're following along, notice this, that after 40 days, 10 of them return with a bad report. After 40 days, 10 of them returned with a bad report. Let me read it, verses 26 through 29. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. They had cut down a cluster of grapes that was so big they had to carry it, two of them, on a pole. So it says, but, by the way, there in verse 28, 
is the turning point. It's a beautiful land, but some of your Bibles say nevertheless. Some of your Bibles say yet, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Enoch there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So you see that they came back and they gave this report and they said, look, it's a good land, and we know that God said he's going to give it to us, but there's problems. There's problems, there's obstacles, there's people there that are mighty, there's cities there that are tough, there's people that are too big for us, it's, it's, it's a problem. And you can tell that this created a reaction to the people by reading verse 30 and 31. And I've listed that in the gray box, the first gray box. So I want to ask, even through your mask, if you would please read along with me and those of you at home as well. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Now, I want you to notice, it said, then Caleb silenced the people. Why did he have to do that? Because they were going, ah! And they were, they were upset. They were unsettled, disturbed. And now they're all of a sudden talking and there's this immediate reaction. And so if you're following along, notice that two return with a good report, but the people won't listen to them to return with a good report but the people won't listen to them now i know it only mentions caleb here but as we get into chapter 14 we're going to see that caleb was doing the talking but joshua also completely agreed with him he was one of the other spies and so as he they went up 10 came back with a bad report sometimes called an evil report in our in our versions and the other two came back with a good report what's the difference they both saw the same things. They both went to the same places. What's going on? What's going on? Why do some people miss out and others taste and see God's promises? It's fascinating, isn't it? And so as we think about this, let me just continue on. People grumble and rebel until the glory of the Lord appears. Notice in chapter 14, notice the reaction. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt and they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Then I'll listen to this. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. It was a sign of mourning or grief and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. In the original language, is good exceedingly, exceedingly, for emphasis. <laughs> it's an incredibly good land. For the Lord, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. 
only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. How's that for a good reception? Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Now, if you're following along, notice they grumble and rebel until the glory of the Lord appears. How does, we studied this before with the cloud. The cloud of the Lord that was not only their direction and protection, now the glory of the Lord comes down right in front of the tent of meeting for them to see. And the Bible says is that it was like a consuming fire. It was, it was an amazing thing to see. And so all of a sudden it quiets the people. And God begins to talk to Moses and says, how long must I put up with these kinds of attitudes? What's going on? Why are they, why are they doing this? Why do they continue to test me like this? And as he says this, if you're following along, I want you to notice that the Lord wants to destroy them and Moses intercedes for them. The Lord wants to destroy them. Moses intercedes for them. If you look at verse 12 there in chapter 14, you'll notice it says, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. And Moses, instead of saying, good choice, God, I'm glad you want to get rid of these people. They've been bothering me too says no if you look at verse 13 Moses said to the Lord then the Egyptians will hear about it and he says don't don't act on that God and then he appeals to him he says you're the Lord who is slow to anger abounding in love forgiving please God act according to your true nature I understand that in justice you should be able to do this but I'm appealing to your mercy and what you've revealed about yourself and he intercedes for them and friends I don't know about you I'm thankful for anyone who would stand in the gap for me when I've been a fool and Moses does that and notice if you're following along the Lord forgives but lets them experience the consequences if you're following along the Lord forgives but lets them experience the consequences Verse 20 through 25 in chapter 14. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Now, would you read verse 24 with me in that second gray box? But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to. Verse 25, since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. If you're following along, they will die in the wilderness and never see the promised land. They will die in the wilderness and never see the promised land. Basically, he says, for every day that they explored the land, 
They will now experience one year of wandering in the wilderness, never to see what they said. And he goes on and tells them, they said they were going to fall in the wilderness. They, they're going to get what they asked for. It'd be better to die in the wilderness. I'm going to give it to them. They said that their children would be killed by the sword. No, their children are the ones that are going to get to see the promised land. So my grace is still going to let some people go in, but not the people that treated me with contempt. And we see that he destroys the 10 scouts who came back with a bad report immediately with the plague. They die, they, they die immediately, but the others. And so then we notice one more act of defiance. When he says, now turn back, the ne next day they say, no, we're gonna go up. We've, we change our minds, we're gonna go up. And Moses says, don't go up. The Lord will not be with you. The Lord will be against you. He's told you he's not, he's not gonna let you go in the promised land. No, we're gonna go in the promised land. And they go up and, and they're beaten back. The ark doesn't leave the camp. Moses doesn't leave the camp. The glory of the Lord doesn't go with them. And in their own presumption, the Bible says, they went up thinking they knew better than God. And they were beaten back all the way to Horma. The chapter ends. Notice this, if you're following along, the Lord promises Caleb and Joshua they will enter the land. The Lord promises Caleb and Joshua they will enter the land. Now, let me just show you another map. Uh, this is a, a map, I think we've got number four there. I showed you that way back, if you look over here in the far left, Ramesses is Egypt where they originally started and they made their way down to Mount Sinai. We're there uh, again for a little over a year, and then they started making their way up to Kadesh, if you can see to the left of that loop there in the center. So now what God says to them is that now they've got to turn back and go south again, farther away from the promised land. And whenever you and I decide to go our own way, we're moving farther away from what God wants from us. We miss out and notice that eventually, they, they would eventually make it 40 years later and come in from the east by Jericho. But this is what happened. Notice they could have gone across Egypt all the way into Israel in a much shorter journey, but because of the way that they responded, God, God had to work with them and God had to, to discipline them. So here's what I want you to notice. So as I was listening, I was thinking to myself, what was the difference? Why do some people miss out and others taste and see? And we see it in chapter 14, verse 24. Now, you notice what it says there in that second gray box? Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. So I told you, as I was listening to this over and over again, when I listened to the New Living Translation and the Good News Translation, look at what the New Living Translation says about this same verse. We've got it here on the screen of Numbers 14, 24. But my servant Caleb has a different, instead of the word spirit, what does it say? Attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. Have you ever noticed the difference in attitude can make? Do you notice what happened with the 10 who came back with a bad report? What did their attitude do to the attitude of the rest of the people? But I wanna make sure we understand something. So if you're following along, notice this, the Lord praises Caleb for having a different attitude for having a different attitude. Now I wanna tell you a quick story. When I was in uh, elementary school and junior high, we lived across the street from the Hamburg family. 
And in the Hamburg house was a kid named Kevin who was my age, and this kid was out of control energy. And we would play baseball, we were on the same baseball team together, and he had this way of just getting up in your face or trying to get you in trouble. And so he did lots of things I don't have time to tell you about. But he did something that my mom to this day still repeats. So sometimes if we'd be on the baseball field and if I ran to first base and they called me out and I thought I was safe, I would start to argue with them. And Kevin would run across the field and he would act like an umpire and he would go, hey, attitude check. I'm gonna kick you out of the ballpark. So he would say stuff like that to me, and of course that only annoyed me even more. The thing is, my mom loved that. So at times, if we, I was talking to her about supper, or I was talking to her about a chore she wanted me to do, she'd go, hey, attitude check. I'm gonna kick you out of the ballpark. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, so that's over 45 years ago, and it came back to me that what this two chapters is about, attitude check, attitude check. What is my attitude? So what does the word attitude mean? If you're following along, notice that attitude is one's chosen mindset or outlook on life. An attitude is the way you look at things. An attitude, one of the definitions says it's a settled way of looking at things. It's not just oops. So what we notice about these people is even after Caleb and Joshua appeal to them, they still choose it. They go, no, we believe they're too big for us. We believe God doesn't know what he's talking about. We believe God actually led us out here into this wilderness for us to die. And they had fallen into an attitude, not only of rebellion and unfaithfulness and faithlessness, but they had fallen into an attitude of self-pity. And when you and I are in self-pity, we look at everything with exaggeration. When they retell the report, you may remember they said, there, there's giants, all the people are giants. All the cities are too big for us. The land will devour us, and it's an exaggeration. Why? Because they're trying to build their case, and they are so set on looking at that. You know how powerful an attitude is in a workplace or a school or a family or a church, right? And Caleb had this attitude. Look at these two quotes here. Uh, a friend of mine, Kent Hughes, used to tell this quote, I've never forgotten it, about two men that were in jail. Two men looked through the bars. One saw mud, the other, the stars. It all depends what you're looking for. I was reading about how uh, there are uh, birds that fly across our nation's deserts. There's the vulture and there's the hummingbird. The vulture is looking for dead animals. The hummingbird is looking for beautiful live desert plants. They see what they're looking for. And our attitude is based on what our heart wants and what our heart really believes. And so they had this attitude. So look at what Chuck Swindoll says about the importance of attitude. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. 
We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. We cannot change the coronavirus. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it, and so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. How's your attitude? How's your attitude these days? What do you believe? Do you believe God's still on the move? Do you see opportunities or do you just see all that's wrong? When you walk into a situation, what kind of person are you? Do you come back with a bad report or do you come back with a report full of faith, full of hope? I was struck Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4 are actually a commentary in the New Testament about these chapters. And in Hebrews 4, it says this, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. In other words, you and I can read our Bibles all day long. What do we really believe about God? Do we believe that he saved us and brought us out of our old life in order to bring us into a brand new kind of life? Not just heaven, but a fullness of ministry and fruitfulness and purpose here on earth. As I was reading the book of Philippians, I was reminded that it says, Philippians 2.5, have the same attitude Jesus had. What does that mean? Does that mean, uh, you know, that we try and act like the Messiah? No. What did he do? He obeyed. The Bible says when God asked him to be a servant, he became a servant. When he asked him to die on the cross, he died on the cross. When he asked him to love people that were difficult to love, he did it. He chose, he chose, he chose. And then it tells us in Philippians 2, 14 through 16, these words. Look at what it says. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And that idea has not only with each other, but also with God. Stop grumbling and arguing with God. That kind of attitude will get you nowhere so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Here's why this is so important. What attitude you and I choose doesn't just affect us. It doesn't just mean that we may miss out. It touches other people's lives. And you and I have the potential to shine like stars in these days. You and I can have a Caleb-like spirit that says, we believe that God died for us and rose again to now live by his spirit in us so that we can be an encouraging light in this community and world. We can help each other and cheer each other on because it will be hard. It will not be easy. There are big people. There are tough cities to take, and yet God is going to be with us. We want to combine it with faith and trust that God knows what he's talking about. Let's not treat him with contempt. Let's not belittle who he is. Now, I was reading this. John Piper wrote a book called Corona and Christ. And in this, he says this, would that we could all see and feel how repugnant, how offensive, how abominable it is to treat our maker with contempt, 
to ignore him and distrust him and demean him and give him less attention in our hearts than we give the style of our hair. What hit me about this passage is the careless attitudes that I still see some days in my life, especially these last four months, where I've acted like, God, you don't know what you're talking about. Or maybe, God, you can't come through. Or maybe this, maybe that. And I was so thankful to meet Caleb. Sometimes in our planning meetings, I've noticed that I'm one of those people that says, well, that won't work because of this, 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 this. Well, I don't think we can do that because of this, this, this. The most powerful moments are when I say, look, I want to be careful. We need to make sure we think through everything. But what if it did work? What if God was with us? What if God helped us do something that maybe we thought was too difficult? And I want to be one of those kind of people in meetings that says, let's at least consider this because God said he will help us. Friends, here's the biggest challenge right now. I've now been a believer almost 50 years in my life. And one of the things I've noticed is that I am challenged to try and help invite other people to follow Jesus. There are some people I've been praying for for decades and I've seen no movement. And there's times in my attitude that I wanna go, I don't know. But I've sensed this week the Lord saying, I want you to combine what I've promised and told you with faith. That's why I love Paul's words when he said, look, I know what it means to be abased and to abound. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do hard times with Christ. I can do easy times with Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And if you're following along, notice this, in his power, we can do all the Lord calls us to do. In his power, we can do all the Lord calls us to do. Some of you say, this marriage is too hard for me. This job is too hard for me. This school is too hard for me. This relationship that is difficult person in my life is too hard for me. What God calls me to do when he asks me to be a faithful witness in this world, the world's temptations are too big for me. They're more attractive. No, we need to say, I can do it. Not because I'm so amazing, but because God said I could. And I trust him. I'm gonna combine it with faith. And so as we close here, where am I struggling to give myself fully to Jesus and his mission? Where am I struggling to give myself fully to Jesus and his mission? You remember what we said last September? We want to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission like Caleb. Do you remember what it says there in verse 24 there in that second gray box? Ah, I appreciate Caleb because he follows me how much? Wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. If I'm following half-heartedly, it's because my attitude has not really believed that God can do what he says. And if we'll give ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission, and friends, here's what I want to say. God saved you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he saved you because he has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for us as a church. And if we're not careful, we can miss it. We can aim for less. We can say, I'm only going to go there under certain conditions. But what God wants to say today is, no, I want you to have a different attitude. I want you to believe 
that I can do everything in you and through you and with you that I said I could. And I don't want you to settle for half-hearted Christianity or shallow Christianity. I want you to give yourself fully to me. Combine what I say and promise you with trust, faith, and belief because that attitude will help you enter into what you will miss otherwise. And so I don't know what it is that seems too big or too challenging for you right now, but we're gonna sing a song that talks about how we see the Lord. Attitude is all the way we see something. Attitude is saying, God, help me see you. Help me see my obstacles, circumstances, challenges through your eyes. Because if I will, then I know I can step forward and you will help me enter into what you said I could enter into. I don't want to miss it. Help me, God. So let's sing to him. And as we're singing, let's do business with God. Anything he puts his finger on in our attitudes, let's be willing to change. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.